morning, church. Everybody good today? You staying dry today? Welcome. So glad you're here. Like Will said, my name is Adam. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Before I get too far into it, I've just got to ask, um, do we have any Auburn fans in the house? Raise your hand. Okay, we do have, I just want you guys to know, uh, we do have a prayer and care room. Um, as soon as you exit the worship center, if you'll hang a left, um, I'm just kidding. I, honestly, I was pulling for you guys, you know? Uh, if nothing else, now your um, bumper stickers with one second on them, now it has new meaning, right? Now you can actually, you can keep rocking the bumper stickers in the team. No? Roll Tide? Yeah, it's like, no, for real, listen. It was absolutely a double dribble, absolutely, no question, and it was a foul. So this is what it is. Um, better luck next year. Roll Tide football's coming. Um, all right, I'm off my soapbox now. So glad that the rest of you are here. For real, anybody that needs prayer or care, whether you're a recovering Auburn basketball fan or anything else, we do have a prayer and care room right outside, for real. We'd love to pray with you guys. Anything you have, uh, maybe it's a little more serious than your team dropping it and losing it all in the last second. But welcome to everyone who is here at our Florence campus today. For all of you, would you make some noise with me and welcome everyone who is currently watching through that camera right there. Uh, love you guys. That is Lawrenceburg, that is Facebook, that is our live stream. Welcome to everybody. We are um, in a series that we kicked off last week called Game of Thrones. Today is week two, and I love that I get to be with you. Um, as we are diving into this idea that um, Pastor Steve sort of rolled out last week, that Jesus is our king, right? That everybody has a king, so that, that when Jesus himself came to this planet, he didn't just come as our savior. He didn't just come um, as someone who was loving and merciful and kind. He came as king. And we have to look at that um, through the lens of what does that mean for our lives today? The problem for so many of us as we talk about kingship, right, we talk about that idea is that I think it's pretty safe to say that none of us in here have ever actually lived under a monarchy, like a true monarch, like for the most part anyway, none of us know what a king is really like in the real world. There's very few of them actually left on the planet. Like Great Britain doesn't count, right? Like the queen doesn't have any power. She just gets a lot of money and gets her picture taken. Like the prime minister is the one that leads the country. And so when we talk about kingship, it's really difficult for us to wrap our brains around what that is. But there's one thing um, that I think we all know about kings that we can talk about. One thing we understand is that kings establish kingdoms. Kings establish kingdoms. And there are some things when you look at a kingdom that you can pull out of a kingdom and what you see taking place in a kingdom that will describe the characteristics, some of the traits about the leader who is in charge of that kingdom. For instance, maybe you've heard um, there's a new movie coming out that tells the story of one of my favorite kings of all time. Um, he is the Lion King. Anybody know this? There's a new movie coming out. Um, can't wait to see it. But the Lion King. And we kind of, if you're, especially if you're a 90s kid, some of your idea and understanding of what, like, what a king is came from Mufasa, right? It was it. Like, we, we understand that because... You have that one scene in The Lion King, right, where, where Daddy Mufasa has little Simba and he's sitting up on top of Pride Rock and, and they're talking about kingdoms, 
right? And Mufasa looks out over the entire landscape as the sun is setting and he tells Simba, he says, everything the light touches is our kingdom, right? It's a really bad, like, example. But, like, it's a cooler voice than mine. But, like, he's... When you watch the movie, what you learn, one of the things you pick up about King Mufasa from looking at the kingdom is that he was all about order and balance. He was about the circle of life, that there was a way that things had to happen for things to remain balanced, right, in life. And in the movie, as you go through, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it yet, you might want to plug your ears, like, in the movie, there's this other king that eventually takes over after Mufasa gives up the throne, right? There's another king, his brother Scar steps in, and what happens to the kingdom? It falls apart. Because what we see is that Scar begins setting up his kingdom. And what you see is the characteristics and the the culture of the kingdom shift based on the king that's in charge. Mufasa, the Lion King. We We can learn about the king from the kingdom. I know some of you are in here and you're politically correct, and I get it. You know, I get it. Um, so it's not just kings, queens also set up um, kingdoms, right? There was another Disney film where we had Queen Elsa who set up her kingdom. And there were some things that you could learn about the queen, the ultimate authority, right? The monarch, you can learn about Elsa because when you look at her kingdom, it was the kingdom of eternal winter. And so you pick up some things that, that about this, this leader, Right? That's why the movie's called Frozen, because everything's cold. She's got the power of ice, and it's, it's this harshness. Growing up, still to this day, I was a, a big history literature fan. I didn't like the math and science side of school. I liked the other side of school. And um, so to this day, still my favorite king to read about and to watch movies on and all this was King Arthur. I love like the story of, of him coming up, but there are some things because King Arthur established a kingdom, right? His kingdom, is, his castle is, is what we know as Camelot. And one of the things Arthur is kind of most famous for is the development of what is known as the round table, that he had his knights, his band of brothers, because brotherhood and honor and servanthood were part of the kingdom that Arthur established. And he didn't want any one of his knights to feel more or less important than another. So instead of of the table that the knights would sit down with the king, instead of it being like a long rectangle where some were closer to the, the king than others, he made it a circle so that there were, there were no unequivalencies because it's something that that king valued. We can learn some things about the king when we look at the kingdom he's established because kings establish kingdoms. And so today... I want to look at four different traits about the kingdom that we all see in the kingdom of God, right? If we say that Jesus is a king, which if you were here last week, that's exactly what we said. If we say Jesus is a king, then we have to ask ourselves, then what kind of kingdom is he establishing? Because we learn about our king and we learn about ourselves when we do a case study on the kingdom. So take a look with me. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first thing we're going to look at The kingdom establishing is the king's identity. The first thing is the king's identity. Now, has anybody in here um, ever went through an identity crisis? Raise your hand. Anybody? Some of y'all lying, right? Because all y'all went through middle school. I see you, (laughs) right? 
Maybe it was an identity crisis. Maybe it was more like identity confusion. Like we're trying to figure out, like, who am I? Right? For me, it wasn't necessarily middle school. It started at about 14 and went to about 28. You know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't, who am I? Started off, I remember like kind of going back. You can follow my identity discovery as you flip through my high school yearbooks, you know. Back in the 90s, there was this, this point when, when skater style was in. And like I was, I was going to be a skater, right? So I had the flannel. You'd wrap it around your waist and had the baggy. I couldn't skate because I'm top heavy and I have no coordination. But like I wanted to look like a skater because like, okay, maybe that's my identity, right? And so like I couldn't skate, but I had the airwalks. I know y'all know nothing about that because like Vans is what's in now. But airwalks back in the day, you were a skater if you had airwalks. And so I had some airwalks and... But see, eventually what happened was I realized I couldn't skate and I was terrible at hacky sack and I just didn't fit in with the skaters. And so I had to, I had to kind of get out of that. And so I did play sports growing up. So I went through the sports kick. All I wore were like windsuits. Remember windsuits, right? Wore those, wore socks with slides. That was a 90s thing. So kids today, y'all didn't come up with that. Y'all bringing it back. Did that. Ended up, as I kind of got more into like college, like kind of went through my prep phase right? So I had the Sperry's, had like the fishing shirts, even though I don't own a boat or fish, you know, y'all do it. I see y'all out there. Yeah. Went through that. And like, it was like, maybe this is my style. This is, this is going to be me. This is my identity. What ultimately kind of found out is of now 35 and I'm still like, I don't know. I just wear whatever the crap I want to wear on whatever day it is. And you might see me in cowboy boots one day and skinny jeans the next. And if I had a pair of airwalks, I promise I would rock them tomorrow. I would. That's just me. But listen, here's what we know. There's some things about identity that we learn when we look at the kingdom of God. But we have to go all the way back to the beginning when the kingdom was first founded. There's a foundation there. So if you're taking notes, if you got your Bibles, you can flip with uh, me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verses 26. Because we all have that question, who am I? And God had something to say about that in his kingdom. Look at this. He says, verse 26, Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, right there in those very early verses of Scripture, we see an identity being formed within the kingdom of God, of who we are because of who our king is. Especially, if you grew up in the South, I know you've heard this, but have any of you ever been told that you look like one of your parents? Anybody experience this growing up? Like my whole life, it still happens to me to this day. People will come up to me and they're like, you look just like your mom. And for a long time, I didn't know how to take that because I didn't know if that meant I looked like a girly man or, (laughs) right? But my mom's beautiful, so I just thought, hey, that just means I'm good looking. So I started taking it as a compliment. Maybe Maybe you're a female here, right? And you've spent a lot of your life, like, you look just like your dad. And you're like, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, right? I love the phrase that we have in the South when you're trying to, like, communicate that somebody looks like somebody else. Because I don't really know what it means, 
but like we understand what it's communicating when we say, man, you're the spitting image of your old man, right? Spitting image. I don't know what a spitting image is, but I understand that means I look like somebody. You see, when we talk about the kingdom, did you know that you're the spitting image of somebody? That we can look in Genesis and we can see that you were created with an identity, that you were created in the image of someone, and it's not your mom and it's not your dad. That you can walk by a mirror today and you can say, okay, I do see that I do look like my mom, because I do. Maybe you do look like your dad. Maybe you look just like your brother or your sister. But when we talk about kingdom, I wonder for us as Christ followers, how many times we walk past a mirror and how we see the way we're living our lives, the way we're treating other people, the way we're showing love and generosity and grace. I wonder how often we could look at ourselves and go, man, I look like God today. Like I see, I see Jesus in the way I'm acting. I look like my king because, you see, the first thing we learn about the kingdom of God is that it's his identity that is being established in you as a Christ follower, the king's identity. And you can search high and low, and you can try any style. You can try to figure out who you are, but you need to know one thing. I've tried it all. But your identity can only be found in the kingdom that God established. It's the only place you're going to find it, young person. It's the only place who you're going to find the answer to that question, who am I? If you look anywhere else but the kingdom, you'll miss it because the answer is not there. See, the kingdom establishes the king's identity. The second thing that the kingdom establishes is the king's authority. Authority. Now, we all understand that kings have authority. We understand that kings have power. They get to do and say as they please. Like they don't have to, to run something past Congress and get a law passed, right? No, like a true king, you've seen the movies, if they say off with their head, guess what happens immediately? You're done. They're the ultimate authority because that's what, that's what kings have. And the kingdom of God establishes the king's authority and it's that same authority that he's given to you. Keep reading. Look at this. Genesis 1 verse 28. It says, Then, after God had created us as humanity, male and female, then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. And then I like because he kind of repeats this. He says, Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. See, I love verse 28. Because see, in verse 26, God said, this is what I'm going to do. And in verse 28, it tells us that God comes through with what he said he was going to do. If God said he was going to do it, you can trust that God will do it. Because God does what he says. It's a kingdom principle. You can trust it. But there's authority there that you, as a Christ follower, you as a believer are called to govern, to reign over the earth. That you have power. That you have authority. In your life, I'm curious in this room, do we have any like law enforcement personnel in here? Would you raise your hands? I see, can we give the law enforcement for real? Appreciate everything you guys do. Listen, we understand that like police officers, sheriffs, deputies, whatever it may be, like we understand that they have authority, right? 
I know we do because I've seen some of y'all the way you act when all of a sudden a cop walks in the room, right? And I start wondering what you did last night. We understand that, but did you know that like just of their own right, no police officer has any authority just in their own nature. Like they're just like you. Maybe you knew um, a policeman that went to school with you. Maybe he was your roommate and you knew all the crazy stuff he did in high school. So I don't know how he's going to arrest people for doing that same stuff today. Like you did it three years ago. I was there, right? Did you know that in of themselves, law enforcement does not have any authority? They're just, just like you. But you see, they carry this thing called a badge. They carry this thing that says, listen, I don't represent me. I represent the people that this shield says I represent. And when I show you the shield, it means you will do as I say you will do. If I say get on the ground and put your hands behind your back, guess what you're going to do? And if you don't, guess what I get to do? I get to make you because I have the authority to do that, right? If you break the law, I have the power to do something about it because they have authority that is given to them by another power that is not of themselves. And that's exactly the authority that we have, except our authority doesn't come from a local government. It comes from the king of heaven. And you have that authority. I love it. I drive um, a white Ford Explorer, right? All my windows are like black tinted, probably illegally, so don't pull me over. Um, <laughs> like black wheels. And it's honestly, it's one of my favorite things in the world to do because if I ever see somebody like fly past me on the road, I'll like jump out behind them real quick. And it is so fun to watch the brake lights. Like all of a sudden people like get real like serious. If I'm ever topping a hill, you know, I can see people that are like on their phones. All of a sudden they're like real stiff and straight until they realize that I'm not someone who has the authority to do anything about the idiocies that they're doing on the highway. Right? It's, I love it. It's so fun because we understand authority. The problem is we don't understand the authority that we've been given as Christians. We don't understand the power that we possess because when we talk about these, these characteristics of the kingdom, what you need to know is there is no such thing as a nobody in the kingdom of God. There are no nobodies in the kingdom because we all have authority that is given to us from our creator. You have the authority in your life. Stop acting like you're the victim. Stop letting the world beat you down. Stand up and say, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to stand for right because I know that God is on my side because I have the king's authority. I'm called to govern. I am called to reign. Christians playing the victim is one of the biggest pet peeves I have in my life. You are not a victim. You are victorious in Christ and it's time we start acting like it. If I came in and put a crown on your head today and I said, you are now prince or princess so-and-so, guess what? You would carry yourself in a different light. You would walk with your back a little straighter, right? You would walk into a room differently because you're royalty. Guess what scripture says you are? You are the sons and daughters of a king. Act like it. And I promise life will go completely different for you because you'll begin operating in kingdom principles, not the principles of the cultures that you and I experience today because it's the king's authority that is established in the kingdom. Number three, I want to look at what we're going to call the king's purpose. 
the king's purpose. Not only see, do we all ask this question of who am I? We also ask the question, why am I here? Like, who am I? What's my identity? And the other side of that is now if I know who I am, what am I supposed to be doing while I'm here? We start asking little kids from an early age, five years old, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? Like they have any idea what they want to be when they grow up. When I was five, I wanted to be He-Man. Some of y'all don't even know who He-Man is, right? But he was Prince Adam, and my name was Adam, so I thought, that's not a coincidence. (laughs) So I used to get my socks. If y'all know who He-Man is, I promise I did it. I'd get the knee-high socks, and I'd roll them down so that they looked like the weird little boots that He-Man wore. And I had my sword, and I'd run around, right, like, by the power of Grayskull, I'm not He-Man, it never worked. And so eventually I got to the point, it's like, apparently I'm not going to be He-Man. So I grew up, kind of hit middle school and decided, this is, okay, I know my purpose now. Because me and my friends started a band. And we were really good to be 12. Right? Had a band. We played the birthday party circuit. Moms carrying our gear around in the minivan to the the 12-year-old girl's birthday party. And we thought we were it. Man, this is why we're here. We're going to be rock stars. It's going to be amazing. And then one day we realized we're not that good. <laughs> like, you know, Tiffany's six-year-old little brother clapping for us didn't really have the ring to it that it used to anymore. So I said, okay, now I know my purpose. Like, I'm, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to come up and I'm going to have all this fame and influence and Kind of like that skating thing. I just wasn't very good. It's like, okay, that's not it. So I got into college because, okay, five-year-olds don't know what their purpose is, but surely college students do. Now's when you pick your major. Now is when you decide what you're going to be for the rest of your life. And so went in, and one of my first decisions was like, listen, I know what my purpose is. It's to make a whole lot of money. That's my purpose. I'm going to be rich. And I had a friend who was an investment banker, and I said, I'm going to... She had a lot of money, so that's what I'm going to do. So the first major I had in college, first of seven, by the way, changed it a lot. First major I had, okay, I'm going into banking. I'm going into finance, business. Started down that path until I realized about two weeks in that I hate accounting and I hate finance. (laughs) Hate it. I'd rather you shoot me in the left arm than make me deal with accounting, okay? It's not my happy place. It's okay. Okay. Apparently not going to make a lot of money here. So I'm going to walk away from that purpose because banking is clearly not it. Decided, hey, my mom was a teacher. So my purpose, I'm going to be a teacher. Because while I may not make a lot of money, I'm going to have all December and all summers off. That's my goal. My purpose is to only work nine months out of the year. That was my purpose. So I swapped my major again and said, all right, I'm going to be a teacher. And I'm going to do that and started substitute teaching to kind of make a little money on the side. That was my job in college for a little while. And the more I substitute taught, I realized that where my level of of hate for finance and accounting was right here, my level of of dislike for a classroom of middle schoolers was about right there. I did not like it, right? Because they're not your kids. You can't beat them when you want to. You can't like, what do you do? Like, you have no authority. Like, you just got to deal with it, and it's terrible, and bless all of you teachers in Jesus' name. 
So I realized, like, okay, clearly teaching is not my purpose. Eventually, truly, it was went through seven different options. I landed on communication because I was like, I'm going to pick the most broad major I can possibly find because surely communication will get me somewhere at some point, right? Graduated, went into sales. I was in sales for 10 years, did a great job. I loved it, enjoyed it. But you see, there came this point when I'm kind of chasing what is my purpose that that I realized at one point I was doing like $18 million a year in revenue and all of it was going so that the owner of my company could build a 32,000 square foot beach home in Florida. True story. And I realized I'm doing all this work and I'm like hustling and this ain't like still not fulfilling me. Like there's still something missing. And then one day it hit me and one day it clicked. And I want it to click with you today because you see, you'll never discover your purpose outside of the kingdom. Because as a Christ follower, that's where you find your identity. That's where you have your authority. And that's the only place you can find your purpose because that's how the king established it from the beginning. My purpose was the kingdom. And listen, it doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor on a platform But it does mean that if you are called to be a teacher or a banker or a rock star or whatever it is that you're called to do, understand that that might be your calling, but it is not your kingdom. That there's a bigger purpose, that your purpose, wherever it is that you land in life, wherever it is that you land in your profession, you're here for the kingdom. And it's the only place that you'll truly find the fulfillment that you're seeking. It's the kingdom. Last one, number four. The fourth thing we're going to talk about is this this establishing of the king's provision. The king's provision. And I love, um, especially the guys in the room, I I know we like to think that we're the breadwinners, right? Like we, we go and we work, we make all this money and we provide for our families. And, but you know, like, As you read through scripture, what we find is that that God is the source, that he's the provider, right? Like regardless of how talented or good you think you are, see how many sales you're going to close without the breath in your lungs, right? Like regardless of how talented or good you think you are, if God doesn't give you the means by which to use those gifts and talents, you have nothing. He's the provider. It's his provision. Keep reading. This is what the Bible says, Genesis 1, we're picking up in verse 29. After our identity has been established and and he's given us this authority to rule and reign and he's laying out our purpose, he then says, verse 29, then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life and all that is what happened. See, I love that from the very beginning, from the establishment of this kingdom, what we're told is that God provides everything that we need. He tells us, you see the the food that I'm providing? You see those plants over there? You see those trees? You see the birds in the sky? See the way they fly? I'm the one that makes sure that happens. You see those cows over there eating grass and making milk? 
doing that thing that they do, guess what? I'm the one that makes sure they do what I designed them to do. See those chickens over there making Chick-fil-A? Like that's, I do that. And so what makes us think that we're different? What makes us think that he's not our provider just the way he is for everything else in nature? See the way the rain falls so that, that all those plants grow and that life can be preserved? Guess what? I make the rain fall. So stop stressing and straining and worrying. Because see, in the kingdom, we have enough. The problem is that we live in a culture of more and of greed and of selfishness so that we have what we need, but we confuse often what we want with what we need. Well, I need that bigger house and I need that nicer car and I need that Louis Vuitton and I need that. No, you don't. I understand that we're up to like the iPhone, like 14 XS Max and it's like hologram, like I don't know what all happens, but guess what? Your iPhone 8 still makes phone calls, bro. You, got, you don't need, you don't need that extra, but yet we live in this, this society, this, this culture that is countercultural to the kingdom, and we wonder why we find ourselves in lack, living in the red, because it's a principle of the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, you may not have all you want, but you will always have all that you need. It's a fact that God provides everything that you need. Listen to me. The kingdom of God is enough. But you can only experience enough if you live inside of God's kingdom. If you start chasing after everything that you want, over and over again, what you'll find is that you'll fall short. You'll run out. You'll go to empty. You'll never have enough. Because it's God's provision. The king provides everything you need to make sure that your identity and your authority and your purpose can be fulfilled. He's the one that gives you what you need. We're just really good at chasing what we want. And we have to be able to differentiate between the two. So all four of them, we've got the king's identity. We've got the king's authority, the king's purpose, and the king's provision, right? always liked, wanted to do this like a weatherman on TV, right? Y'all see this? This is a lot harder than you think, but right there. <laughs> see? The king's identity, the king's authority, the king's purpose, and down here, we have the king's provision. I thank you. To be honest, I can probably predict the weather as good as they can too, but sorry, I'm just kidding. Can't, I can't. Here's the problem when we look at those four things. Here's what we run into. I don't see a lot of that in the society that we live in today. I don't see people living in the king's identity and his authority and walking in their purpose with everything that they need to make those things happen. As you keep reading, here's what scripture says. Genesis 1.31, sort of the bookend of where we've kind of been today. It says that then, after all of that was established, then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. 
Everybody say very good. The problem when I look at our society today and the way that so many of you live is that I don't necessarily see very good. I see a lot of brokenness. I see a lot of hurt. I see a lot of shame. I see a lot of fear. When you couple it all, what we see is a lot of sin. Right? I know we don't like that word, but that's what we see. Because you see what happened It's the same thing that happens today all the way back in the garden is that God himself, the king, established this kingdom. And he had some principles and some boundaries to it. And and in it, it was very good. And he told Adam and Eve, he said, listen, this this is everything you need. This is more than enough. And Adam and Eve, in imperfection, looked around and they said, man, God, like I... I see all that you've made available to me. I see that, I see that you say it's, it's, it's so good. The problem is I look around at my life and, and what I need and what I want is that as humanity, we, we operate and exist looking at what God has for us and then turning around and See, God, I I know that you say all this is very good. I just don't know that it's good enough. So what I do is I see the one thing that you said wasn't good enough for me, and I choose the hat. I get that you say the kingdom's enough. It's very good, but what about this? See, the error, the sin in the garden was not the bite. The sin in the garden was the unbelief. It was that Adam and Eve didn't believe God when he said, I've given you everything you need. Yeah, God, but what about that one thing that you didn't give me? Because that's what I want. Yeah, but I don't have that for you because it's not going to fulfill you. And it's not going to fill all those holes in your soul that you're searching so desperately to fill. But we look at all that and we say, yeah, but man. And I know we, it's so easy for us to like throw shade at Adam and Eve. Like, man, you ruined it for all of us. You, But day in and day out, we as Christians who say that we follow Christ, our King, we make the same decision every time an opportunity comes up. And you're just like, man, you've, you've got a gift like God has blessed you with, with talent that you can, you can sing beautifully or you can play an instrument and you, you need to use these, these talents and these abilities that I've given you for the kingdom. And so many artists and musicians sit out there like, yeah, God, but do you know how much success I could have if I do it on my own? Like, I know you say that's very good, but is it good enough? We have people out there who have the gift of teaching, the gift of hospitality. And we'll stand up here and like, listen, man, like God wants to use you to pour into new believers, to disciple, to teach people what it's like to live the life that you live, to to raise people up in the kingdom, lead a group, teach a class, do all these things. And you're like, yeah, that that would be good. And I, I know I can do that. I'd be very good, but. 
man, I was gonna, I was gonna take a lot of time, and like I, my schedule's so full, like I've got to be here and there, and I've got to do this, and I know God that you've established this kingdom, but man, is what you've established really good enough, or do I need to go chasing after this other stuff? Maybe you do have the gift of making money. Maybe you're blessed financially. And I've got news for you. Every single one of us are. Right? And so you get the opportunity, right, to follow the commands. And we hear that word tithe as a Christian. And all of a sudden, all these red flags go up like 10%. Are you kidding me? Do you, like, do you know how much money I make? If I wrote a check for 10%, do you know how big that check would be. So God, I understand that you say that it's very good, but man, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to give up building your kingdom. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on building my own empire. And what happens is the more energy you put into your empire, and the more bites you take, guess what? You have less. Where if we could just come to the understanding that if we would begin chasing after the kingdom, what we get is more. But it's a flip, it's countercultural. We don't experience very good, but the good news is that it's not too late because Jesus came to this earth to reestablish his kingdom. I don't know what you were told about why Jesus came. Yes, he came to set the captives free. And yes, he came to provide um, a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be in once again in relationship with God. But the number one message that Jesus preached while he was on this planet, it wasn't love, it wasn't mercy, and it wasn't forgiveness. It was kingdom. Look at what Matthew says. Matthew chapter 4 Verse 17 says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everybody in this room, whether you're watching in Lawrenceburg or you're in, watching in your living room, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hand and I want you to put it out like this. And I want you to understand that the kingdom of heaven is that close right now. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The problem, like Pastor Steve said last week, when we asked that question of who is sitting on the throne of your life, the problem when we recognize that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, too many of us have our own empire in our hands so much that we can't let go of it to embrace all that God has for us. And so Jesus The call was repent, turn to God. What that says is stop worrying about all the things that I haven't given you. Stop chasing culture and start embracing kingdom and I will give you everything that you need. I will blow your mind with how I provide for you and the fulfillment and the purpose that you find in your life when you understand that I've given you your identity. And I've given you your authority. And you don't have to look outside of me to find those things because they're not there. It's the kingdom. 
See, if you're here and you're a Christian, there's more than just a place in heaven prepared for us. There's a kingdom on earth that is present with us. And we can walk in all that we are in Christ. But we've got to get off the throne. And we've got to let him take the place that only he can hold. The kingdom is right there. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to ask yourself this question. Where has your focus been in your life? Are you working to build his kingdom or are you seeking to build your own empire? Because I don't know how familiar you are with history, but empires don't have a good success rate in the long run. Empires fall, but the kingdom of God will never pass away. It will never fail. And it's available to you today. So regardless of what you've dealt with outside of these walls, regardless of the pain and the difficulties you've experienced, regardless of how many times you have messed up and you don't think there's any hope, you don't think there's a way out. If you're here today and you know that you need to experience more kingdom in your life, I want you to raise your hand wherever you are. It's available. Jesus established it, and then he reestablished it for you. So if you raised your hand, all I want you to do is I want you to pray this. I want you to say, God, I understand that in my fallen, broken nature, God, that I've, I've begun to chase after the things that culture says I should want. I've begun to chase after the things that my sinful flesh says I should want, God, but today, I realign my position and I turn to you and say, God, I want your kingdom. I want what you have for me. I want to experience the blessing that you have made available to me. If you'll open up your hand, he says the kingdom is right there. So Father, I pray for every single person that can hear my voice. I pray that you'd move in power, that they would understand the authority, the purpose that they have in you, that you are the only one The creator's the only one that gets to tell the creation its purpose. Move in every single one of these persons' lives today, Father. Let us walk out of here with a different passion. Let us walk out of this place with a different understanding of who you are, our king. And when we do that, Father, we can stand on the promise that it is very good. We love you. King Jesus, because it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. You have a great week. Please make plans to come back next week as we shut it down with week three, Game of Thrones. Thank you all.